Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel again, chapter 24. We were on this last week when we had the title, Move Your Carcass. Move Your Carcass was last week and got a bit of response. I have to say it was all good that I know off anyhow. Um, This week we want to speak and the following week and as the Lord leads we're going to speak on the fig tree and violence at Jerusalem. We'll be looking from here in Matthew 24, continuing next week in the Lord's will. We'll be looking at the coming of the Lord Jesus in power and glory. We're looking at the Jews in uh, Palestine or Israeli today. And we'll be going further into that next week and looking at different nations that are around. And well, we'll see how the Lord leads us and what we'll bring out of it. Matthew chapter 24. In the read of verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came unto him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus saith unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, The disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Let your eye run down for time's sake to verse 32. The Lord Jesus tells them, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Keep your Bibles open, for we will be referring to this chapter. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his own word. Let's just buy in a word of prayer. Father, you're so generous to us, and you're so gracious to us, and compassionate and kind and good and merciful. That's why we love you, Lord. And we love your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you now this evening, Lord, to open our hearts and help us to be able to take in what we'll hear. And Lord, may our hearts be touched and quickened by the Spirit of the Lord afresh and anew. Open our eyes to behold the wonderful things of God. And if there's one here, Father, who has not yet surrendered their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We pray that, Lord, even as they see him, not a preacher, not a pastor, but see him. As they see him, we pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself further to that person. And may they call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We worship you and we love you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus in verse 1 
we read that he is coming out of the temple, says, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Coming out of this place, the Lord Jesus is accosted, as it were, by his disciples, showing the grandeur of the great temple, 40 years in its building. Of course, this temple was the very center point of Jewish worship, different from Israelite worship, different from the Hebrew standards that we read that God had in the Old Testament. We'll look at that in a moment. But here they point to the buildings. Wow, look at the buildings. Such a great, uh, great, such a great edifice to be had in the center of any city. And as the Lord turns and looks at the building, he says in verse 2, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? We touched briefly on these last week, but look what they say. Tell us when shall these things be, what shall be the sign of thy coming, and thirdly, the end of the world. Here we understand that the disciples knew that something major was about to happen. Jesus said that one stone would not be left upon another in the temple, and it came to pass. He was right. And Jesus said it would come in their generation, in their time. He said it would come. The temple would be completely devastated and destroyed. And the disciples who followed him said, when will these things be? It seems as though they also had the idea that at the destruction of the temple, Jesus would then sit upon his throne. That Jesus would come from wherever he was meant to be going out of. In other words, was he going to leave Jerusalem then return? They said, when will you return? When will this age finish? When will the temple be destroyed? And when will you come again? They didn't fully understand what the Lord Jesus was saying to them. The temple would be destroyed. The temple would be devastated. But before the system of Judaism, before the system of the worship of the Jews was totally decimated, because God had announced and pronounced judgment upon them because of all of their sin and their rejection of Christ, before the destruction of the temple, the final lamb must be slain. In other words, there must be redemption for man. There must be redemption in Israel. There must be salvation to the whosoever will. And Jesus says this will be devastated. One stone shall not be left upon another, and then they're wanting to know when. What they missed was the final lamb would be slain, and it would be the lamb above all lambs. It would be the once and for all lambs that would never be slain again. It would be the lamb of God 
that taketh away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist cried out, the Lamb would be the Lord Jesus Christ. He must die and shed his most precious blood. Then the temple could be destroyed at God's will and in his discretion. An old Puritan, Elisha Coles, said about Christ dying for our sins. He says, sin could not die unless Christ died. Christ could not die without being made sin. Nor could he die, but sin must die with him. In other words, sin would remain if Christ did not die for our sin. And in other words, Christ could not die without being made sin, for he was yet without sin. He was the sinless one, the spotless Lamb of God. And so our sin must be upon him, for sin, we're told, bringeth forth death. And Christ would bear our sins and carry them in his own body on the tree that you and I could be redeemed. Old J. Wilbur Chapman wrote something wonderful in his hymn. Speaking of how Christ carries away our sins and how Christ bore them on his body and how he went to the grave and rose again. He wrote, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Here in Matthew chapter 24 and in verse 3, we have our Lord comes out of the temple. He's shown the temple and he says one stone would not be left upon another and he keeps on walking. The disciples, those who were close to him, those who would follow him, those who loved him, those who desired to know more of him, followed him out the eastern gate followed him up through the river Ker, the brook Kedron, and right up into the very Mount of Olivet. And sitting upon the Mount of Olives, they gather around him to ask him and to inquire of him, Lord, when will these things be? Lord, when will it happen? What is the time and the signs for the end of the world and for your coming again? Notice where he was the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, as I said, is on the east side of Jerusalem. And it overlooks the city. And the temple was upon the hill in the midst of the city. And the temple would have stood as a great giant monolith. The very curtain of the holy place, they say, was up to 60 foot high. And even a half a foot, some say a foot thick, And it says that no man could ever rip it, nor tear it, nor pass it. And it represents how man is separated from God. For behind that veil and that curtain went once a year the high priest to sprinkle the blood upon the furniture and the mercy seat. And behind that veil in the Old Testament, and now behind the veil would be the high priest who would go in to do the same. But there's something happened. There's something wrong. Christ says that it is no more because he would die and shed his blood. In Matthew 27 and verse 51. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 38. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 45. Every one of them give us an account 
of how our Lord Jesus Christ hung on a cross and bled and died and when he had paid the full price of our sin, when the redemption price was completed, he hung his head on a pulseless breast, cried, it is finished, paid in full. And we're told in Matthew 27 and 51, and the veil of the temple, that great big curtain, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Notice it was from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top. In case men could have been employed and ripped it as man would rip it from the bottom to the top. But God with his mighty hand and God with His himself being pleased and well pleased with the very death of his son. Took as it were his great hands and he put them on the top of that great 60 foot curtain and ripped it like a shred of paper. And he says, it is finished. And you and I who are born again of the Spirit of God and washed in the blood of the Lamb, we are made kings and priests unto God and we can go in by the new and living way or the freshly slain road into the presence of the Almighty through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in our reading, before that happens, he sits on the Mount of Olives overlooking this great edifice overlooking the gigantic temple. And he's looking from the east side in, for the rising of the sun would be on the east, and the sun would shine on the temple, through the gate of the temple to the outer court, from the outer court to the inner court, from the inner court to the curtain of the Holy of Holies. And Christ is looking, the Son of God, looking straight down the line, and he pronounces judgment upon that temple. He's in the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives was his trysting place in prayer. The Mount of Olives was the place he went when he wanted to be alone with his father while he stayed at Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives was the place that Judas knew how to find him there, for he often resorted there, we're told. The Mount of Olives was a favorite place of the Lord Jesus, and now he's back up to his favorite spot. You know, we talk about where was Jesus crucified? Was it at the bus shelter now where that little hole in the wall is that looks like a skull? And the Roman Catholics have another place where they say he was crucified. There's a friend of mine, Pastor Campbell, actually done it. He done a teaching on the possibility of Christ being crucified out the eastern side. It's a great story by the Mount of Olives. Here we have him sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking at the great curtain, calling time on this people and on this form of worship. At the Mount of Olives, the Lord Jesus will also return again. Turn with me, if you will, to Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah chapter 14. We'll look maybe more into this next week. I just want to lift out a verse. Verse 4 says, And his feet, the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. For Christ, we're told in Acts chapter 1, ascended into the heavens after his resurrection from the Mount of Olives. And here we're told in Zechariah 14 and verse 4, and his feet when he returns again. 
and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Notice that, on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half toward the south. People are saying, let's all gather around Jerusalem waiting for Christ to return. When Christ returns, there's going to be destruction and devastation. The Mount of Olives is going to split. There'll be a great earthquake like man has never seen before. It's not a picnic nor a fairy tale. And Christ's feet will land and stand upon the Mount of Olives and it will split. And geologists now can tell you that there's a great fault line, an earthquake fault line that runs right down through the Mount of Olives, right the whole way down to the Horn of Africa. And they have found that God's word is so true. God's word does not lie. We're talking about building temples in Jerusalem. We're talking about helping people to build up and have red calf, red, the red kaffirs or heifers. And friend, when Christ returns, there's going to be destruction and violence at Jerusalem. Here we have Zechariah telling us that he will return to the Mount of Olives. So the master in our reading goes on to tell a parable to admonish and to edify or to warn. And note whom he talks to. He talks to his disciples, those who followed him and loved him. He talks to them. They represent Christ's blood-washed, blood-bought, spirit-filled, overcoming saints on that day. Those who have followed and served the Lord with all their heart. Those who are saved, who are washed, who are forgiven off their sins, who are watching and waiting and praying for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They represent those of us who will be looking for Christ's return and saved. He talks to them and they ask him, as I said, the questions. These disciples are disciplined ones. That's where we get our word discipline from. Disciplined in their faith. And faithful in their walk with the Lord. They are vigilant. And they are walking circumspectly. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 14 to 16. The Apostle Paul says, Awake thou that sleepest, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Sir, see if you're sitting here, and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You're still in death. Spiritually dead without Christ. And when the Lord causes his spirit to move within you, and when the spirit of the Lord stirs your heart to realize the truth of the word of God, then arise from the dead, awake, and Christ shall give thee light. What we were singing tonight, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Arise thou that sleepest and wake from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Verse 15 says, See that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The Lord said when he returns, it will be like the days of Noah. 
That's another study for another night. We brought something out on you, to you before. We'll maybe do it some other time. But the Lord says, be like the days of Noah. And in Noah's day, there was violence that filled the earth. What do you see in our news tonight but violence that has filled the earth? They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving and marrying, we're told, until the day that the flood came and took them all away. I have something to tell you. I'm not going up to meet the Lord Jesus in order to go to heaven. I'm going up in order to usher him to earth. I'm not going anywhere. I'd be with the Lord. I don't want to be separated from Christ again. I rule and reign with Jesus. Even if he allows me to open and close the door, I'll do that for him. Here, he says, See that ye walk circumspectly, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. The word circumspectly here is the word peripatio. And it means to order one's behavior or conduct. It means to conduct oneself in the right way. It means that to see that your conduct is accurate with the respect to the demands of the word of God. Christian, can I ask you tonight, are you walking circumspectly? Are you walking according to the demands of the word of God in our life? Well, we'll fail, we'll fall, we all do. Join the club. But we're to walk with Christ. Serve him with a whole heart and with a full heart. It means to walk accurately with respect to the demands of the Word of God. D.W. Little wrote this in his hymn. Listen to this. Jesus is coming. Sing the glad word. Coming for those he redeemed by his blood. Coming to reign as glorified Lord. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming. The promise is true. Who are the chosen? The faithful. The few. Watching and waiting. Prepared for review. Jesus is coming again. Are you one of the chosen? Are you a child of God? Are you saved? Christian, can I say something that an old Puritan once said, William Gurnall, about our lifestyles, he says, Say not that thou hast royal blood in thy veins, and art born of God, except thou canst prove thy pedigree by daring to be holy. There's many who say, I'm born of God and live like devils. There's many who take the name of Christ on and they blaspheme his name. They cause others to disregard his name because of their lifestyles. Old William Gurnall says, Prove your royal blood. Prove you're a child of God and dare to be holy. So the disciples come to our Lord on the Mount of Olives and they say, Tell us, when shall these things be? The destruction of the temple was in A.D. 70. It was the finish. It was the end. It was the judgment of God upon the fig tree. I'm going to show you that in a moment. It was the judgment of God upon the fig tree. The fig tree is jury. That's J-E-W-R-Y. It was judgment upon 
Judaism. It was obsolete, finished, kaput, no more. They rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not have this man to reign over us. And Christ rejected them. They cried for his death. They cried that he would be crucified. Luke 23 and verse 23 says, And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. Listen to the Reverend, Reverend Leon Morris. He, Reverend Morris was a principal of Ridley uh, University, Bible College as well there in Melbourne. Listen to what he says on this. They were instant loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. I quote him. The mob was insistent. Their loud cries give the impression that a riot was beginning to build up. It must have been obvious to Pilate that the situation was becoming increasingly ugly. The mob shouts, won the day. In other words, you think when you look and you see the uprisings in Syria or in Egypt or wherever else, and you see those great squares and the people thronging the buildings, the people thronging any open area that they can get to. And they start with little murmurings and they start getting louder. Then a riot starts and the place is devastated and wrecked. And until they get their way, they won't yield nor let up. Do you think when they got Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was a dozen little people says, this way boys come with me. There was up to five or six hundred who surrounded the place. And they took him. And they manhandled him. And they beat him. And here, after a night of punishment, he's before Pilate. And Pilate takes him and brings him out to this baying mob. And he says, what will I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. Oh, they might have said it once or twice according to Scripture, but the idea gives it that there was going to be a riot. They kept saying it and shouting it and yelling it and cheering it and asking for it. Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! We'll wreck this place if you don't crucify him. The scene had got ugly and Pilate says, why, what evil has he done? This sinless one. This one who knew no sin and did no sin was yet without sin. He who healed your sick and raised your dead. Do nothing but bless on the left hand and on the right. He says a lot of days ago, he says you were shouting. He says there was mobs crying, Hosanna! Baruch Abba, Shem Adonai! Save, oh save, blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. And now the whole crowd is all stirred up and are shouting, crucify him or we'll wreck the place. Let's get the idea right here. One or two didn't shout, let him be crucified as you see. They were determined in their ways and in their efforts 
The fig tree was rejecting Christ. Here we have the interrogation. Here we have the rejection. We have the molestation of the Lord Jesus. And then the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fig tree and violence at Jerusalem. The fig tree and violence at Jerusalem. Listen to what Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province. Marvel not at the matter. Eh? Let me read it again. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province. Here's the province of Judea. Violent perverting of the Lord. Here in Jerusalem is violent perverting of justice. Calling for the Holy One to be crucified. Here's the thing. I think of our own little province. I think of the perverting of the justice in our own little province. When men have been allowed to murder and get away with it. When men have been allowed to creep up on our friends and our families and place bombs under their car and blow them to bits and now they'll sit in our government. I think of our own province. And there's no justice, there's no repentance. Listen to what the verse says for you and I this evening. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth there they be higher than they. In other words, God's seen it all. There's a higher than they. There was a higher than Pilate. There was a higher than Herod. There was a higher than Annas and Caiaphas the priest. There was a higher than the government too. And our Lord sees it all. He sees it. And he will pay recompense for it. But oh, the fig tree and violence at Jerusalem continued. As they went down the Via Dolorosa, the sorrowful way. And Christ carrying his cross. Violence had filled Jerusalem. I want to look at the fig tree for a moment. Got a little excited there, didn't I? Let me just get a drink. How do we know the fig tree? How do we identify them? Jeremiah chapter 24, if you would like to turn with me. Jeremiah chapter 24, please. You see, we know the scripture will interpret scripture. And here we have a story that I have to put into a, a few hundred years, into a few minutes. Israel was known as the vine. It was known as a vine brought out of Egypt. There's 12 tribes. When they get into Palestine, they're known as a vine, but they separate into two kingdoms. I've told you this many times that you'll, 
get to understand the northern kingdom was the ten tribes, the house of Israel, and the southern kingdom was two tribes, the house of Judah. And it's actually from the word Judah we get the derivative name Jew. The house of Israel were carried away for their sin, captive. We'll look at that maybe next week or we'll see how the Lord leads. They were carried away about 721 B.C., into Assyria, never to return again as a nation to Palestine, and they migrated westward. About 100 to 120 years later, around 641 BC, we have the house of Judah. And Nebuchadnezzar comes from Babylon to carry away the house of Judah because of their sin. There was violence again at Jerusalem, and the fig tree was there. But Jeremiah was the prophet who was in Jerusalem at this time. And they were warned, look, this is from God. Go with God's chastening and he will bring you back. Let us read Jeremiah chapter 24. We maybe have to skip over a few verses. Verse 1 says, The Lord showed me and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord. After that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, and the carpenters and the smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe. The other basket, very naughty figs, which could not be eaten, they were so bad. The Lord said unto me, What sayest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, figs, the good figs, very good. The evil, very evil, that cannot be eaten. They are so evil. And again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. Notice, for their good. They don't realize what I'm doing for them. They don't realize the offer I'm giving. I'm doing this for their good. They were already carried away and some remained and disobeyed the word of God and rebelled against him. The good figs were the like of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Daniel. Of course, Jeremiah went later and later released again, but Ezekiel was always there, also there. Notice what he says, I'm doing it for their good. Verse 6, for I will set mine eyes upon them for good. And will bring them again to this land. And will build them and not pull them down. And I will plant them and not pluck them up. And I will give them a heart to know me. Isn't that lovely? I'll give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. For they shall return unto me with their whole heart. And as evil figs which cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Surely thus saith the Lord, so will I give Zedekiah the king of Judah and his princes the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land, and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt, to be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse, in all places whither I shall drive them. Zedekiah was brought out before the, the king of Babylon, and he had his sons brought before him, and his sons were slain in his presence. And then his eyes were put out and the last thing imprinted upon the very mind 
of Zedekiah was the very death of his sons. God knew violence was coming to Jerusalem and warned them. I told you last week when Jesus says that the, the armies would encompass Jerusalem, talking about the Roman soldiers in AD 70, that whenever they came, he says, to those who believed the word of God and trusted in him, he says, flee unto the mountains. And every believer that fled and left the city of Jerusalem would have been saved. Friend, that's what happens when you believe the word of God. That's what happens when you trust in the Lord for your security and your salvation. But what happens if you don't trust the Lord? You're left to the wrath of God. So these good figs and bad figs were Judah. And while they were in Babylon, there were good ones who returned and most of them stayed in Babylon. They had what was known as a Babylonian Talmudic teaching. And they migrated back later with that teaching, perverted the word of God into worship. Turn with me, please, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Let your eye run down to verse 11, please. Notice this. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem, into the temple. Notice where he is, Jerusalem, the temple. And when he had looked around about on all things, and how the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves he came, if happily or maybe he might find any thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. Let your eye run down to verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thy cursest is withered away. Jesus is walking toward the temple again into Jerusalem, and he comes to a fig tree. It has leaves, it has foliage, it's showing itself forth, it's showing itself healthy. And Jesus comes looking for the fruit upon it, finds no fruit, and he curses it. It withers up and dies. You see, it was representing the Jews at Jerusalem. It was representing how they were spiritually before God. No fruit. Nothing toward God on the rejection of Christ. They were without spiritual fruit. They had their religious, Judaistic foliage. Like the trees with its leaves. But no fruit. Foliage of religion. Foliage of robes. Foliage of temple worship. Foliage of sacrifice. Foliage of even their psalm and their hymn singing before the Lord. Foliage of ceremony and foliage of ritual. Is that what you've got? Or have you got the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? I go to church, it's foliage. I take communion in my church, it's foliage. And Christ cursed it. And it died. 
There was no fruit and they rejected Christ. They twisted and turned the word of God and mongrelized it with the Babylonian Talmudic teachings and the traditions of men. And that's why Jesus came to them and he said to the Pharisees and to the scribes, he says, ye are off your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father you will do, he says. Isn't that serious, isn't it? Not tremendous that Christ would say that. He called them a brood of vipers. A generation of snakes, he says. I think tonight maybe I'm taking away the idea of the wee picture you see with the wee feminine Jesus with the little soft hands, the wee starry eyes and the, the beautiful complexion. Christ was a man of man. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. The fig tree was cursed. Luke chapter 13 and verse 6, please. Let you read it yourself tonight. Tell you, go to verse, yeah, verse 6. The Lord's telling another parable. Listen, he also spake this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Notice he came and sought fruit and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cometh it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year till I dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Notice what he says, Lord, these three years I have come here, the Lord says, and and I've found no fruit. Cut it down. Take it out. Put it up. He says, give me one more year. Jesus preached for three and a half years to these people. He preached the kingdom of God. He preached redemption through his blood. And they rejected him. He says then in Matthew 21 and verse 43, they were represented of the fig tree. He says, Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, after the parable of the vineyard again, I'll not read it tonight. They say, this is the air, come and kill him. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of God is taken from you. And given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Matthew 23, verses 37 and 38, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, now that stonest the prophets, and killest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen doth gather her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold your house, your temple is left unto you desolate. Where desolate means lonely, waste, the wilderness. You'll be left to your own devices. i got to stop here. Thank you for your attention. It's been tremendous tonight. But I've got to stop. If too much, we'll go into part two. Let me finish by saying this. The only other place where you'll read this word desolate in the tense and sense it's written in is in Acts chapter 1 and verse 20 where the disciples are speaking of Judas Iscariot. 
let his habitation be desolate. Let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Jesus says, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And here, it was taken as it were. Judas Iscariot, like the Jews, representing them, he went desolate, went into the night without Christ, we're told. He went to his own place. And Matthias, the nation bringing forth the fruits thereof, represents the fruit-bearing nation. When we come to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 32, Jesus says, Now learn the parable of a fig tree. Talks about its foliage again. He says, You're going to know the end of the world. This is a sign for you to watch and wait. He says, For I'll be coming soon. We're going to talk about that next week. All the nations that are around. The fig tree back in Jerusalem tonight back from 1948 as a nation. Let's look at it next week. Here's the thing. Are you saved? Are you ready? I'm not asking you, do you go to Elam Church? I'm not asking you, do you go to the Church of Ireland or the Presbyterian or the Free Peace? I'm not asking you, are you a Methodist or anything else? I'm not asking you, do you go to a Roman Catholic Church? I'm not asking you any of it. I'm asking you, are you saved? A new church will save you. And Christian, are you ready? Watching and waiting? Overcoming for Christ. Thank you for your attention tonight. We trust that the Lord will bless his word to all of our hearts. God bless us tonight. Thank you for your attention. It's been tremendous and it's warm in here. Either you have fell asleep or else have uh, startled you. Or the Lord's just working. I'd rather have the third. We're going to sing tonight. We're going to go home. So there's no guest singer, so we're a wee bit earlier tonight, isn't it? Isn't that a good, isn't that a good thing as well? You get a wee bit earlier. Saying that, we're still not early, but we bit. We're a wee bit. God bless you all. Gary, are we going to do that one you were saying? We're going to sing, put on the garments of praise, are we? For the spirit of heaviness. I'm glad I'm saved tonight. Listen, see if you can't get excited about the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll get excited about nothing. You'll get excited about no one. Bless his name. We'll, we'll sing. Praise the Lord for a few moments before we go home. God bless you if you want to see me. See anyone if you're not saved, please don't leave for Jesus is coming soon. Go and look at your news. Spiff's been informing me a lot this week. Give me a lot of stuff. That's Stephen, by the way, we call him Spiff. <coughs> And he's been informing me with a lot of stuff. And the stuff he's informing me with is great stuff. I'm going to maybe see and maybe bring it out soon. And I've been researching what's happening in all the nations that are going around. There's nations coming, forming themselves ready. Basically, for the end of the world. It's happening tonight. The warships are in place. They've already said... They've already told them that Russia says that if they attack Tehran, it's as good as an attack on Moscow. Isn't that right, Spiff? It's already in place. It's happening tonight as we sit here. If you're asleep, Christian, get up and get moving for Christ is returning. And if you're not saved, get ready. 
For eternity is a long time. Eternity is eternity. Stand and praise His name and worship Him. God bless you all.